Welcome to the Philip K. Dick Book Club. In each episode of this podcast, I look at one of the works of Philip K. Dick in roughly the order that they were published in. Currently, we are taking a, going through a series of the stories published in 1955. And in today's episode, I'll be looking specifically at the short story, Man Heal My Daughter. Man Heal My Daughter is... A story really about the relationship between the posthumans and the humans. Uh, this is something Dick was exploring quite in depth at this part of his career. I think this really starts with the Golden Man. I mean, there's a few precursors in ways, but really with the Golden Man, um, at least in the order of publication, if we look at it that way. The Golden Man is the kind of the opening of a, a, a kind of a conversation Dick has about. The post-human, their role in human society, and what the threats they can pose, what their abilities might be, and what they mean in the context of, of history and, and the future. So along with the Golden Man, we have the world of talent, the crawlers, and the hood maker, even though the hood maker, you don't have true post-humans, there's just a one-off, one generation of, of telepaths. Um, and then Simon, he'll, he'll heal my daughter. And I think these are stories that can kind of be put together, even anthologized together. Uh, they could really kind of form a coherent argument or at least a debate and a discussion in Dick's mind about what to make of this post-human character. In general, I think at this point in his career, he still holds to the position he had in The Golden Man that they're dangerous and we might not have any choice but to repress the post-human. Uh, you know, in current narratives, you even see this in the TV uh, version of the Hoodmaker. You know, the the posthuman becomes kind of like a exploited, marginalized community, which is, which is a fine argument to make, but that's not quite where Dick's thinking was of the posthuman. Now he is going to change, though, and he doesn't change fully, but he does start to take on the posthuman in a new way in stories such as captive market and then certainly with the three stigmata palmer eldridge see where you start to see the post-human not as a threat not as an existential threat to humanity but another banality of of late capitalist life just another you know capitalist essentially um so anyways let's let's get into this story Simon heal my daughter originally it was published in imaginative tales in november of 1955 and you can find it in the third volume of the Collected Stories of Philip Dick, uh, select uh, second variety and other classic stories by, by Philip Dick. That's the, the, the name you normally find the third volume of the Collected Stories in, although there are different titles. You might find those in if you're, if you're lucky and can afford the, the nicer hardback versions of these. But most of us have the Citadel um, press versions of these Collected Stories. And, uh, that, and it's, it's in the one second called Second Variety. Okay, so uh, we start with a with a a family in crisis. We have Ed, his wife Barbara. This is an Ed, the Garby family. It's Ed, his wife Barbara, and their children. 
And their daughters, particularly their daughters, dying of bone cancer. So this Simon heal my child. It's acknowledged right away what this is about. Um, so you got a, a, a young girl dying of cancer. They leave a commune that they live in to see a healer that's outside the borders. The guards warn them against leaving uh, and just suggest they continue to work with the commune doctors. But Ed is worried. He fears that the doctors in the commune will experiment on her and eventually she'll she'll die and her body will be discarded or misused so he wants to seek out help outside the borders of of basically the city that the humans are living in uh, we get a setting here of war a post-apocalyptic setting where people are kind of living crouched together in these tight-knit communities but there are people outside of of these commune borders so the question is like who are they well you know don't have to think too much to know that they are the post-humans, right? It's called Simon. They're going out to find um, someone who has this ability to heal their daughter. They pass this abandoned city and they think about a long history of healers and mystics who have helped people throughout the ages. And this is another thing Dick plays with a little bit in a couple stories, this idea that the post-humans have always sort of been with us, but they may have been mystics. He does this in World of Talent with this, this boy who can... I think he's a precog, right? So the, the thinking is that maybe all of like the witches and prophets were, were, you know, these augmented humans. It's even somewhere in upon adult earth, this idea that, that some of these mystical figures, these spiritual figures throughout history actually had some ability, but it could be scientifically explained away um, as kind of a, a psychic power of some sort. So he's thinking about this this history of healers and mystics who have who have always helped people. They arrive at the camp and they realize they need to wait in line. So what we have here is a community. We have the commune and then we have this community this, that's worked collectively as a guild. And they're called the Talents. These, these are the post-humans. And they're a mixed group of people, but they're generally referred to as Talents. So this you get the idea that we're kind of in the same universe as World of Talent, perhaps. You know, because the same word talent being used. Um, but, and the idea that you have a diversity of abilities, that's also in the world of talent. That's not just one mutation, like in the hood maker, it's just telepathy. Here you have a, a great diversity of abilities and they work together basically as a, a specialized guild that provides services for people. And they receive all kinds of various visitors who are making use of their various abilities. So we have a man named Porter who's a precog who can see six months in the future. This is exactly the character Jones that we have in the novel, which was written and published around this time. The World Jones Mains. I already done my episodes on The World Jones Mains, so you can go back and, and listen to my comments on that. I think I have two episodes on that novel. So we have a precog. And what, he's, what does he do? What's his service? Well, he provides honest accounts of what people can see in the future. He's basically a fortune teller that people trust. We have another guy, Stevens, who can read minds. I suppose this could have uses such as, uh, well, in the way they use telepaths, I guess, in Babylon 5, right? Uh, one of the main uses, if you watch that series of telepaths, is to make sure negotiations are honest. I suppose they might have that use. We have Doris who can move objects. Jack is able to time travel. And he is using his ability to prevent the, uh, the war that already happened. Uh, and he's trying to speak to a military commander, General Ernest Butterford. So he's the most kind of proactive of these talented people trying to change history and use ability in a more aggressive way. You have Thelma, who is a psychic healer. And, you know, 
you know, she's. I think it's implied at this point in the story that she already saw the Garby child, and and she's going. You know, she's going to have to come back in a little bit, but she's dealing with like the cancer kid. So, while though we're introduced to this idea of these people trying, the Garby's trying to find a healer for their daughter, it's kind of a throwaway plot line, even though it's in the title, because it's really we want to get in. Dick wants to get into this community of talented people. There are different points of view and what they're doing with their abilities. So Garby's kind of fall off the story. In a way, they're just sort of there to frame time because they're told you got to come back in a week for like a second checkup about this. So Jack is is maybe the most important figure here. He's going back in time to trying to visit this General Butterford. And this time he's trying to show him his own bones, trying to prove to him that there is this ability to time travel. He is coming from a future and that he's going to die and that there'll be this destruction of civilization as well as his own life if he pursues with his choices and doesn't overt the war. Butterford responds with disbelief at Jack's psychic powers and we get this typical cold war era argument of peace through strength right that i need to be a strong warrior it's not because i want war but strength a strong military you know refusing to back down all these things is how we get peace right that was the line that americans were given in the 50s with this nuclear arms race and the brinksmanship with the soviet union especially in the truman years eisenhower kind of died that down a little bit, but he was also a believer in the peace through strength narrative. War is preferable at the end of the day to backing down because weakness makes things worse. That's the philosophy, essentially, of, of peace through strength. And you have it again in the 80s, certainly, past Dick's time as a writer. Now, back at the Guild, while Jack's doing this, you have back at the Guild, well, not while Jack is doing this, obviously, because he's time travelers, but... Um, back at the guild, the talents are discussing their role in this post-apocalyptic world. And here we get this debate. And that's the core of this story, I guess, is this debate about what should be the role of the post-humans now that kind of human civilization has collapsed or is in, in chaos. Now, some people are content with the good work they're performing. They're, they're actually moral agents and they see themselves almost as part of humanity or at least morally responsible to human beings. And they like for helping individuals with personal advice with healing with things like that you know that, that we perform important services we're not special so these this is the group of people who sort of deny that they're they're posthumans with a special role in history they just have skills they just ta- they have talents jack re- responds that this is actually what people talented people have been doing for thousands of years and he comes back to this idea that that the, the Garbys had, or I think it was Ed Garby thought this, that you had witches and sibyls. Sibyls is something Dick was really interested in. Sibyls is just the Roman oracle, if you don't know, but um, the Roman variant, the Roman version of the Greek oracle is called the Sibyl. And, you know, sorcerers and magicians and things all throughout history all were basically psychics or, you know, some kind of talented people. They have not been able to enter civilization directly and therefore it's difficult for them to really be as helpful because they're not really integrated into society. They're always outcast or specialized or or seen as weirdos or something. Jack himself is actually growing openly impatient about this and he's going back in time trying to change things directly. So he's got the more, I guess, the vigilante point of view that we need to take action to actually repair the damage that humans have done. Um, but he also believes that the end result of this should be the direct ruling of humanity by the post-humans. 
So he thinks that, you know, this is humanity is has he wants to save humanity from itself, but he also thinks humanity has lost their right and their ability to rule Earth. Stevens has a different point of view. He sees it more. I don't know. Is this kind of the Magneto line? Um, I, I haven't read enough comics to really know. I just saw the movies, but his idea is that ruling humans would be a bit like running a zoo for dying species. Like, what's really the point, right? What's the point of caring for the last lion or the last giraffe or something? They're going to die out soon. And in this way, the war actually just accelerates what's already going to happen. The end result being that the talents will be left behind. And I'm reminded sort of of The Last of the Masters, where you have this idea that government is obsolete and there's remnants still sticking around. But you know, you can kind of just ignore them. They're going to do their thing, but eventually they're going to be gone too. They're going to rust away. So he presents that basically, what's the point of, of ruling these people? They're going to die out. So better just to let them be, begin to reclaim the planet uh, with those with these abilities and just do our own thing. Just let them on the side. So don't you don't even bother with humans is sort of what Stephen says. Now, at this point in the story, after this debate, the four members, four members of the guild attack and kill Jack. And this is because Stevens, who has this precognitive ability, reveals that Jack's going to attempt to, um, to murder him. They're still divided, though, over their future role with the remaining human settlements. Some want to join the commune and help them still. Others want to dominate them. Now, Sorry, Stevens doesn't read minds or doesn't know. He reads minds. He doesn't see into the future. So he reads Jack's mind, sees him as a threat. And that's what leads them to to take Jack out. But this debate is still here. What to do? Do we interact with the human human beings or don't we? Do we dominate them? Now, Porter, now Porter's the precog. He looks ahead and tells them. Well, here's the way it goes. Uh, Stephen tells Porter. These are things you've seen, not things you're thinking. Has the commune government changed their position? Are they finally going to call us in? Basically, let us come in to help. And Porter says, the governments won't call us in. We'll never be invited into Washington and Moscow. We've had to stand outside waiting. The waiting is about to end. And then, and then we get a break right before the kind of the epilogue of, of the story. So the Garbies start to leave the commune for their second visit to the healer. The guard tells them that due to a new policy, no one who leaves the commune will be allowed back in, right? So this back and forth is going to stop. And so if they leave, they, they basically can't come back in. And this is going... So instead of the question of will the talented people be allowed into the commune to help, it becomes an issue of are people going to leave to interact and take advantage of the talented people? Ed decides to move out. He, he, of course, cares about his daughter and wants her healed. And he commits them to a life on the outside. And they notice that they're not alone. Many other people are choosing to venture out. And when given force to make a choice, do I stay in with the humans or do I come out and interact with a, a broader, diverse population and a diverser set of skills, more, more and more people are saying, no, we're going to venture out. Barbara, the wife, guesses that only the leaders will stay behind as the people start to build a life outside the walls. So you have an almost, uh, I want to say, a, a sort of very much like life, Last of the Masters. And whereas this question is, why would anyone stay in the commune with these brutal people when there's a better life waiting for them outside of, of the walls? 
So Simon Heal My Child is, as I've already said, another one of these early stories. I'm like 60 episodes into this podcast and still talking about the early stories. And yes, Dick wrote like about 80 stories in about a three-year period of time. And that's why we can still call them early. Um, but it's a big chunk of his work. And a lot of ideas get established. But it's it's one of this group of set of stories about the post-human and the human. And I do think they could be put together and analyzed and thought about. And, and re- we got to realize Dick is debating what to make of the post-human figure in, in science fiction. Post-humans can be pariahs. They can be malevolent. They can want to try and dominate humanity. Sometimes they do things that are, are irrational. Sometimes, though, they can work peacefully with humans. Sometimes they're not permanent, like in the crawlers and the hoodmaker. There's a suggestion that the, these are just temporary things. Others are presented as a permanent replacement for humanity. Simon Heals My Child gives us the most detailed examination of a debate among the posthumans over what their role should be. We never really see that so directly. I, mean, I guess in a world of talent a little bit. But here you really have all the different possibilities kind of laid on the table and different posthumans giving different ideas about you know, what the future might look like. So there seems to be four major positions here. One is that the posthuman should dominate humanity planning for their eventual domination over their entire planet. Their rule may be benevolent or not, but however you come at it, the world is theirs to inherit. And it's simply silly to suggest coexisting can work. It's like talking about coexisting with ants or something. Humans coexisting with ants, you know, or not as equals, certainly. So some form of domination uh, and certainly domination of the post-humans oh, by the post-humans of the whole planet is the is the future the second opinion is that post-humans should be kind of be the freaks and, and hold on to this status as freak or the sibyl or the witch remain outside of human society interacting them with them slightly and being guiding at times presenting new ideas but always just being on the margins so they'll be like the gypsies or the carnival psychics or there's different kind of examples i think the sibyl and the witch are the ones given in the story they provide their talents and skills in exchange for what they need to survive as far as the story is concerned this is presented as the way it's been for thousands of years that there's out you know there's there seems to be more of these post-humans now but they've always sort of been there now another position and that seems to be sort of where dick comes at the end by having the people leave the commune is that post-humans should integrate with humans and attempt to work from within their society to improve it. Now that's the way it's kind of presented, but in the end it's actually the humans who come out to interact with the post-humans. Okay. What else do we have here? So now Jack, Although his plotline kind of gets tossed away, he's just kind of killed and, and he falls off the story. But he, he's got an interesting kind of third, fourth position, I guess, which is that the posthumans have a moral obligation to use their abilities to fix the world for humanity without necessarily dominating them or cooperating with them openly. It's more of the vigilante point of view. It's the most revolutionary in the sense it does see the power of the posthumans is as not fully self-interested, but it's almost like a historical mission or a historical burden. And uh, we got to remember that Dick talks about the telepaths 
along like the Jacobins and the Bolsheviks and the Hoodmaker. Right? And he this is kind of here, in a way, in the character of Jack. At the end of the story, with the humans coming out of the commune to begin a bolder reclamation of the planet, moving out beyond the borders of the commune, you know, the, it's a possibility that humans and post-humans will end up working together after all. But before, a lot of this debate was preconditioned on the kind of the weakness and inactivity of humanity. So, right? So that like they're they're locked in the communes. They they they're dependent on posthumans. They're going to die out. All these ideas are based on an on a, on an end of history for humanity. Either we help them kind of scratch along, or we just let them die. They're, they're, they're like those the the last spe last of their species in a zoo or something. That's broken at the end of the story. That that kind of balance and that inevitability is broken. So maybe humanity and posthumans will end up working together. But humans have taken initiative here. Now, Dick never recants from his belief that mutants are a problem, not fully a savior. So, he, But he's somewhere different than he, where he was when he wrote The Golden Man. In Simon Hill, My Child, he shows how they can be used by humanity as a helper, how they've always been with us. And, you know, they can be sort of our comrades and they have a special role. Here, and they can do things that humans can't do, of course. But there's a, an option between the post-humans dominating us and becoming our masters and taking over the planet and them being a permanent population of outsiders. And I think they're, they're, they're one model is the cooperative one and the other is maybe the radical Bolshevik or, or, or Jacobin model, right? That we're going to, we got to force, force ahead history, not necessarily for our own benefit, but that's because it's our, it's our historical destiny as a special chosen people now we get only a little taste of what the situation of the war of the world after the war we know people have retreated to these communes which are run by the remnants of the military and there's a military logic to it there's walls there's gates there's protection there's doctors experimenting on people all this is remnants of the wartime environment the population is controlled through intense work re regiments they're also indoctrinated uh, they're given very harsh choices, like at the end. If you leave, you can't come back. Still, the people want to escape this and seek help from the talented guilds living outside the commune. So they're not completely content with life in the commune. This flight that we see at the end, this exodus from the commune, forces the closing of the borders. But still, most prefer braving the outside than living inside the walls. And I think here we have Dick at, at some of his most radical perspective seeing this radical potentiality for a life outside of the walls we put up around ourselves and that's it's going to be it's going to require coming to terms with the post-human in ways that might be not be comfortable right because there are post-humans who certainly don't believe in cooperation but this desire to flee confinement is a very important for theme for dick a lot of his frontier ideas rest on that 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 stuck on earth humanity gets trapped and in a way, this story does sort of feel a little bit like the world Jones made, not only because you have a six-month precog in both stories, but there's this idea that kind of we've reached the end of where we can go within our walls. We need to branch out. And the question is, how do we do that? What's the best way of doing that? And you just got this beautiful scene at the end of these people fleeing, fleeing the communes, burning the bridges to their old life and imagining something new. 
So it's Dick kind of revisiting this idea that we need space exploration or we need a reopen frontier. So um, that's the story. That's some of my thoughts on Simon Hume, my child. A really wonderful story, actually. I think it's it's one of his strongest. Um, and it's really got a beautiful message, I think. And it it shows how conflicted Dick is. And, you know, from this point on, the post-human, you'll, you'll have examples of it. We're going to look at the Chromian fence a little bit, which, which kind of, it's, it comes at it a different way, but that's also kind of about post-humanity. But that's already kind of this, this what we get in the 60s Philip Dick, where the post-human is uh, just a worker, right? Just an adjunct of, of, of capitalism or the system, right? Finding, like in Minority Report, finding the criminals. Or certainly in the three stigmata of Palmer Eldridge, even more banal, where all the precogs do is find out what the next fashion um, trend is going to be. So a really good story. I think if you haven't read it, you should um, check it out. Oh, one more thing I forgot to talk about, and this was the guild itself. This idea of the talented people forming a guild. This, this is, of course, a medieval institution of, of a skilled workforce that's sort of maybe outside normal feudal, medieval feudal society. Um, often it's in the cities and they often had their own kind of own political power. And certainly from certain historical perspectives, by writings by historians about the role of the guilds, is it's pretty easy to come to the conclusion that the guilds were like the first stage of kind of the capitalist revolution that overturned feudalism. And so the idea that through a guild you create the institution that's going to replace the old system at some point was there in historical thinking at, at the time. And we have a bit of it here in the story. Uh, something had survived rule by power-oriented politicians, professional spellbinders recruited from smoke dingy city halls and cheap law offices. If psychic rule failed, if analogs of the struggle of nation states arose, there might be nothing spared. The collective power of the guild reached into all dimensions of life. For the first time, a genuine totalitarian society could rise. Dominated by telepaths, precogs, healers, with the power to animate inorganic matter and to wither organic matter, what ordinary person could survive? There'd be no recourse against the guild. Man controlled by the psychic organizer would be powerless. It was merely a question of time before the maintenance of non-size would be seriously scrutinized with an eye towards greater efficiency, towards the elimination of useless material. Rule by supercomponents could be worse than the rule by incompetence. Um, now, of course, this is still the idea that precogs or psychics, psionics, would eventually come to dominate humanity. But and that's not where the story really ends up. The story ends up somewhere different. But still, the idea of the guild as the laying the foundations for a new order is, is here. And it's kind of a, an interesting idea and it's an interesting kind of model and then finally i really like this idea that and of course dick had done it before so it's not new but the idea that the prophets and the mystics and the nuts and the crazy people were all psychics at, at some point um so that does it for Simon heal my child again do read it, it it's a great story um, thank you so much for listening. If you have any comments, please leave them below or send me an email at 100pagescast at gmail.com. I would love to hear from you and your opinions about these stories. Um, and, you know, I'll be back shortly with another story by, by Philip K. Dick. Come and possess my tired thoughts once
that living dies, that living dies, that living dies. 